Well, good morning. What a tremendous blessing it is as we step into this Christmas season even more to be able to lift our voices, not only singing some familiar Christmas carols, but also being reminded of the great promises of God that we celebrate fulfilled here at Christmas. And many of you have uh, been able to see the, the Promises Christmas special that our Shades team developed that rolled out last week. We do want you to know we've been given a great gift the, the special is going to roll again this week on Fox tonight at five o'clock. So if you, if you have friends or family who were traveling or couldn't see it last week and they want to tune in, maybe they don't want to pull it up online, but they'd rather watch it on TV, it will be back on TV at five o'clock tonight. So make sure you spread the word and we'd love for people to join in that celebration. I want to take a moment though, just to thank not only our worship team, but, but all who are serving here at Shades in this busy Christmas season. We've had, we've had promises, we've had one starry night, we've had a lot of things going on. So would you just join me in thanking our volunteers and our leadership and all who've been involved because Christmas is alive at Shades. And we have a lot to look forward to as well with Christmas Eve coming in just two weeks. I would encourage you to be praying about who you can invite to join you for a Christmas Eve service. But there's so many things that we have to look forward to and be thankful for in this season of Christmas. Let me encourage you now to grab your Bible and join me in Isaiah chapter 9. We're in a series where we're looking at one of the prophetic statements of the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah about the Messiah. And we're, we're walking through the, the four names given to the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We started this last week. We looked at the, the first name, the, the, the first name given, the wonderful counselor. And today we pick up with the name Mighty God laid before us as it relates to who the Messiah is. And so I want to invite you to stand with me as I read from the Word of God, Isaiah verses nine, or chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, to get us started here this morning. I thank you for standing. We stand because we believe that the Word of God is the foundation for the people of God. We stand on the authority of the Holy Scripture as the church of Jesus Christ, and we look to the Word of God to see what God reveals to us as he says is right and good and true. So this is the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me that God would use his word to speak into our lives as we turn our attention to him now. Let's pray together. Father, in the midst of this busy Christmas season, with so much going on in our schedules and in our lives and preparation for the celebration of this, this holiday that we love so much, Lord, there, there's a lot of different noise. There's a lot fighting for our attention. And it is my prayer 
today, this morning, right now, as we turn our attention to your word in this sacred space that you have set apart for us to encounter you, I pray, Lord God, that you'd speak into our lives. There is something we need to hear this morning from the Most High God. And so I pray that you would have your way among us and speak clearly into our lives what you know we need to hear this Christmas. So we thank you for this time. We commit this time to you. It is your time. We offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing with me. Well, in the midst of all your Christmas shopping, if you have young children in your home, if you have grandkids that perhaps you're shopping for, there's a pretty good chance that that somewhere among those presents or somewhere on a list, there is something that has something to do with a superhero. We are a culture that is fascinated with superheroes. In fact, the top three grossing movies of this year are all superhero movies. Five of the top 10 grossing movies of all time are superhero movies. We love superheroes, and we love to think about someone who can, who can save the day, who can come to the rescue in a time of need. I, I do want you to know our family's not immune from this. In fact, we have had some superheroes in our household. I'm going to show you a picture of that. We've had, we've had Batman, who's lived with us for a season. That's Everett. We've had Spider-Man, my man Brody there, in all of his strength and might. Uh, we've had several superheroes that have made their way through our household. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting how kids especially love superheroes? There's just something in us that, that, that loves to think about someone who has tremendous strength, tremendous power, tremendous might, who can, who can do what no one else can do, who has this superhuman strength to, to rescue, to, to save the day. Well, as we step into the Word of God today, we are looking at this characteristic, this, this name and this quality given to the Messiah that is all about strength. He is the mighty God. Isaiah goes on to show us in verse 7 what we just looked at, that this mighty God would come with such authority that he would establish his kingdom forevermore, a kingdom that would not end. He would come with justice. He would come in righteousness. He would come to save the day, to demonstrate his strength and authority overall. But when we think about the Christmas story, When we think about what we see in the word of God as it relates specifically to what we celebrate at Christmas, it doesn't seem like the mighty God is who we're celebrating, right? This baby born in Bethlehem, this little defenseless child laid in a manger, Born to a young peasant girl 
who will be raised by a father who is a, a common carpenter? How in the world is this a display of the mighty God? Imagine, if you will, for a moment that you were hearing the prophecy of Isaiah as it was spoken to the people of God. For the people of God, when Isaiah is prophesying, when Isaiah is speaking, they, they are in the midst of a season of tumultuous difficulty and hardship. They have been encountering tyrannical leaders and they have faced oppression and they have been wandering in the darkness. They're longing for a Messiah. They're longing for one who will come and rescue them with, with super strength, with, with might that would save the day. But then after Isaiah's prophecy, and after the prophecy that we see in the word of God through the minor prophets, the people of God, think about this. This is hard to even wrap our head around. The people of God encounter 400 years of silence. There are no prophets of God for 400 years. They are not hearing from God. Imagine thinking, okay, we've heard these stories throughout the generations of what God said through the great prophet Isaiah, that, that a mighty God was coming, that a, that a ruling king would establish his reign forevermore. Where is the strength of God? Where is this might and authority and power? And then all of a sudden, there's a birth announcement. A birth announcement that the Messiah has come, and this is where we encounter the story of Christmas. Turn with me, if you will, in fact, to Luke's gospel in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, that lays before us the, the story that many are so familiar with of what we celebrate at Christmas, the arrival of this baby born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger, for there was no room for them in the end. Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1, and 1 through 3, and again, just think through the lens of the people of God that are longing for this Messiah, longing for this great, strong, awesome, authoritative leader who will flip over the rulers and the leaders that have put them in oppression and have been so domineering and forceful with them, casting them to the side. They long for the day that they'll be restored to greatness and they hear the Messiah is coming and here's what they hear. Luke 2 verse 1 says this, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were registered, each to his own town. Now, if you are writing a movie script here for how the Messiah might come in awesome power and in awesome authority to demonstrate that he is the mighty God who would crush injustice and reign forevermore, you go, okay, this is where the story should begin. Let's go to Caesar's palace. Let's go to the most powerful man in the known world, the reigning ruler over all the known world, Caesar. 
Of course. If one is going to come in strength and might, he's going to have to go through Caesar. So maybe this king, maybe this Messiah, maybe the one coming in strength and might is going to come through Caesar's palace somehow. With all the pomp and circumstance of a a great ruler and king, with with all the great wealth that would be at the hands of Caesar, with with the tremendous military training of the Roman Empire at his fingertips. Yes, this is the way that a mighty king should come. But we know, if you know anything about the story of Christmas, this is not a story of Caesar. This is not a story of Caesar's family, of one born into the palace, of one trained by the great military leaders of the Roman Empire at Caesar's command. That's not what this story is at all. So we go back to the story, Luke 2, verses 4 through 7. This is the story of Christmas. It says, and Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. Now, if you're among the people of God, longing for the Messiah, longing for a great leader, a great ruler of tremendous strength and might, if you're the people of God, longing for one to come to overthrow the rule of Rome, to restore the people of God to a place of prominence and power, and you hear this story? You would say, this is preposterous. A baby born to a peasant girl in a barn? Come on. Where's the strength? Where's the power? Where's the might? Where is our courageous hero? Now, this is a common birth. Going to be raised by a common carpenter. I mean, surely this is not the story of a, a mighty God. How in the world can Christmas be a fulfillment of the promise of a mighty God? With that in mind, I want to turn our attention to another passage of Scripture in the New Testament. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 as we think about the story of Christmas and what it demonstrates about who God is, what it reveals to us about who the Messiah is and why he has come. And in Philippians chapter 2, we see the Apostle Paul, in a sense, looking back at the story of Christmas, looking back at the arrival of Jesus and explaining to the church, laying before the church, you are actually invited to see an incredible picture of the mighty God. So look at what the word of God reveals. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Pointing back to Christmas, what in the world is this revealing? Well, here theologians would use a term that they would say describes what's taking place here as the Apostle Paul points the church back to Christmas. The term is the word incarnation. What is the, what is the incarnation? Well, the definition of the incarnation is the embodiment of a deity or spirit in some earthly form. We would say that is God taking on flesh. The word we use at Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us, that the God of the universe stepped out of what was his rightful place, reigning over all in full authority, in full strength, and made himself a servant, taking on flesh as a baby born in Bethlehem, defenseless, seemingly powerless, laid in a manger, for there was no room for them in the end. How in the world does this show a mighty God? How in the world does Christmas point to the strength of a hero coming to save the day? Well, this is what I want us to consider here this morning. As Jesus took on flesh, as Jesus was God incarnate, God dwelling among men, you know, this separates the Christian faith from any other religion, that, that God would be still fully God and at the same time fully man taking on flesh in the incarnation. As we think about what takes place in Bethlehem, this baby born as the son of God, we are seeing in the humble arrival of the Messiah, far from the palace, far from other kings and rulers, far from the wealth and prestige of the world, we are seeing that the Messiah who has come, please hear this, has nothing to prove. This is a big deal. He has nothing to prove. What does that mean? It means he is not rivaled or threatened by anyone. It means he can come born as a newborn baby, seemingly completely defenseless, and there is no one or nothing that can come against his authority. You see, think about every display of power and strength that we see in the world around us. In fact, make it more personal. Think about every display of power and strength that you seek to demonstrate in your life. It could be through some kind of physical workout. It could be through uh, establishing your financial portfolio. It could be through trying to climb a corporate ladder. It could be through trying to demonstrate that you can do something better than others. Every demonstration of power and strength that we seek to put forward or that we see in the world around us, hear this, is a demonstration that we are trying to prove ourselves. I'm strong enough to do this. I'm smart enough to do this. I'm powerful enough to do this. 
It's always an effort to prove ourselves to someone or some group of people. But the power and authority of our God is so great that when he comes to the world to demonstrate to us who he is, he comes as the only one who has nothing to prove. And so he can lay aside what is rightfully his. He can come to serve because there's no one who can rival or threaten his authority, his power, and his might. He comes as a baby born in Bethlehem to demonstrate that he truly is the mighty God who did not come to search and destroy, but to seek and to save. And so he comes as one who is accessible to the very people, you and me, who need his strength and his might. Look back at what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And again, you could say, well, how in the world does this demonstrate might and strength? How in the world can, can the death of Jesus at the cross be a demonstration of the mighty God? The Roman soldiers asked that question. You can read this in the story of Easter, the, uh, the account of what takes place before the resurrection as Jesus goes to the cross, the Roman soldiers, they mock him, they belittle him, they say, if you're really the king of kings, if you're really the Messiah, save yourself. You've got no strength, you're hanging on the cross, we put you there. But what the Roman soldiers did not understand they didn't put Jesus there. That cross was exactly why Jesus came. Jesus came to go to the cross willingly, lovingly, graciously, obediently to demonstrate God's love for us. That's what Jesus says in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was not thrust on that cross against his will. He went there willingly, demonstrating his authority, demonstrating his power, demonstrating his might to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. I mean, when I think about Jesus on the cross, it's, it's amazing to consider that the God of the universe who could have said a word and called out a legion of angels to destroy everyone in that place, he stayed there. He stayed there as the mighty God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. What an amazing picture of the strength and authority of our servant king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. 
But we're reminded the cross is not the end of the story. And as we celebrate Christmas and this amazing gift of joy made available to the world, this amazing gift of the arrival of the the wonderful counselor, the, the mighty God, we're reminded that this Savior, this Messiah, he will actually come again. And that's what we see in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Look at this picture of the strength and might and the awesome power of the King of Kings. It says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what is the Apostle Paul doing here? Well, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, he starts with Christmas and he says, this is a picture of the mighty God who is laid aside his rights, laid aside what was his and taken on the form of a servant to come and live a sinless life and offer that life as a sacrifice for our sin, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, that through the cross we might experience the true gift of God's awesome power and authority to defeat sin and death. And then Paul says, and a day is coming, a day is coming when the king will come again. And when he comes again, there will be no question who the mighty God is. When he comes again, there will be no question who is the greatest authority over all the world. When he comes again, there will be no question who has the most awesome display of might and strength that the world has ever seen. And when he comes again, every knee will bow. Now, there are people in our culture today that would say, okay, yeah, every knee will bow. That's because, hey, it doesn't really matter how you live. In the end, everything's going to work out. Everyone's going to be saved. That would be a universalist mindset. That, hey, just live however you're going to live. God's a loving God that wants everyone to be with him. So no matter how you've lived, at the end of the day, you will be with him. Every knee's going to bow. Is that what the scripture's saying? Well, the scripture's saying every knee will bow. But I can promise you this, what we see in the word of God, every knee will not bow in worship and wonder and gratitude. That will only be those who have trusted in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The only ones who will bow in wonder and worship and gratitude will be those who bowed the knee to the Savior, bowed the knee to the mighty God in this life and trusted in him as their only hope for salvation. There will be others that will bow, and when they bow, they will bow in terror and fear 
and regret that they refused to acknowledge the mighty God in their life. I know this is sobering. I know it's not always fun to hear. I know it's Christmas, but please don't miss the point of Christmas. The point of Christmas is to tell us that the Savior has come. The mighty God has come. And he has given his life because he wants you to know of his love. And he wants you to know of his love to the degree that he was willing to go all the way through the horrific agony of the cross and defeat your sin so that you might live. That's an amazing gift to hear. That's the good news of Christmas. But there are some who refuse to believe. There are some who believe that their might to rule their life is greater than his might as the mighty God. There are some who choose to believe that God doesn't know the best way for them to live and they have no need for him or do not acknowledge who he is at all. And a day is coming when everyone, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will see our Lord and Savior for who he truly is in all of his strength, authority, and might. On that day, every knee will bow. But for some, they will bow in terror because they will realize that they never trusted the king. I just hope and pray that everyone listening to the sound of my voice and looking at the word of God today knows with great clarity how you will bow. Will you bow in worship and joy and celebration and amazement and wonder and awe at the lavish grace and mercy of God that has set you free as you see the king? Or will you bow in terror and fear and regret that you never were willing to acknowledge your need for the king? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. What will that day be like for you? Please hear me. I, I, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to, to be mean about this. I'm not trying to, to come at you and be like, hey, I, I, I just want you to understand how much God loves you. That's what Christmas is about. That the God of the universe in all of his authority and all of his might was willing to lay down his life that you might know his love. That's incredible. Will you receive it? Will you cherish it? Will you trust him? Will you worship him? For he is the mighty God. As I close this message today, 
and we think about why we celebrate Christmas and why Christ came, I wanna go to a sermon that was preached many, many years ago by a pastor named Charles Spurgeon. This is what Spurgeon proclaimed as he preached about the mighty God. Think about your life. He said, sins many hath he forgiven thee and relieve thy conscience of the keen sense of guilt. Griefs innumerable hath he assaged. Temptations insurmountable hath he overcome. Virtues once impossible hath he implanted. Grace in its fullness hath he promised and its measure hath he given. My soul bears record that what has been done for me could never have been done by a mere man. And you would rise from your seats, I am sure, if it were needful and say, yes, he hath loved me, washed me from my sins, and made me what I am must be God, for none but God could do what he has done, could bear so patiently, could bless so lavishly, forgive so freely, enrich so infinitely. He is, he must be, we will crown him as such the mighty God. Do you know him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you in the midst of this Christmas season, Lord, it is my prayer that everyone among us would see the incredible gift that it is that the mighty God has come to save. Oh, Lord, I recognize that there are some among us, some friends, some family perhaps, there are those around us in our neighborhoods, in our offices, in our schools, they have never bowed the knee to the mighty God. They hear this story of Christmas and they think about this, this little baby and they, they don't understand, Lord, the, the demonstration of might and power of the incarnation that, that you took on flesh to give your perfect sinless life for our sin. What a gift. Oh, Lord, I pray, I pray that if any among us have never bowed the knee, have never received this gift, have never trusted you for who you are, the awesome and mighty God, I pray that today would be the day. Oh, I pray there'd be none among us that when you come again, would be among those that bow in terror and regret for rejecting who you are and what you have done. Lord, may it not be. You are the God who saves. Oh Lord, I pray that anyone who does not know you would trust in your gift of salvation and see what an awesome God you are. Oh, thank you 
for demonstrating your love for us, and yet while we were sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. What an awesome God. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you. May we be a people that bow before you in worship and gratitude and awe and thanksgiving at who you are and what you have given us. And Lord, our hearts are heavy for those that don't know you. I pray that today there would be some that would recognize if they're among that group that's never bowed the knee, they've never trusted the Savior, they've never seeing Christmas as the greatest gift ever imagined as God has dwelt among men and given your life that we might be saved. Pray that today would be the day that they would cross that line of faith. I pray that there would be some that would bow the knee today, realizing who you are and what you have done realizing that your strength was used to offer us the greatest gift that we could ever receive through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Father, we pray with those who are here who have never trusted you, we pray that today would be that day. They'd say, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to bow the knee. I'm ready to know the one who is the Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Fix our eyes this busy Christmas season on the awesome power of our mighty God who has come to save. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.